Welcome everyone to the Asian Voices Radio Podcast, where you'll find real Asian American conversations, including all the topics you are too afraid to ask your Asian parents. I'm your host, Melissa May, and I'm so excited about our guest today. His name is Stefan Nakamura, and he is considered among the most accomplished feature film colorists in Hollywood, having worked alongside directors such as David Fincher, Ridley Scott, Catherine Bigelow, Spike Lee, David O. Russell, and Steven Spielberg. His feature film credits include The Five Bloods, Sicario, Day of the Salado, It Chapter 2, Crazy Rich Asians, The Martian, Alien Covenant, and many more blockbuster epics and award winners. Most notably, in 2018, Stefan was accepted into the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences. Welcome, Stefan. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks, Melissa. Glad to be here. Well, I think the most amazing thing about this short little intro is that out of all the directors and features I mentioned, that's just the tip of the iceberg of your resume. So let's just jump right into it. Start from the beginning. How did you get started in the film business? And was it always something you wanted to do or was your path going somewhere else before? Um, It's something I always wanted to do. And um, I went to Loyola Marymount University and I studied communication arts with an emphasis on film television. And um, I originally wanted to be in production. So I was in production. I interned while I was at LMU. And um, I, I did production. I did uh, business side of film um, distribution. And then I figured out that I probably wasn't that great at any of those things. So I got into post-production. So right after college, I got into post-production and um, I originally tried to be an editor at first when I was like 21. And I just said, I don't think this is for me either. And then I was working at a facility that had colorists and um, I became friends with them and I became a junior colorist. And so I've been doing it ever since. So I found something that uh, um, it fit my personality and my skill set. So that's how it all ended up happening. It's pretty crazy, Stefan, that sometimes you need to do something to learn that you don't want to do it. And it may take up a little time, but then you know that this isn't a passion of mine. So I'm glad that you finally found your passion in coloring because I don't think Hollywood would be be the same without you. (laughs) So did you have any inspirations growing up since, you know, Asian American parents maybe yours included, don't you necessarily encourage their kids to pursue careers in media or in film very often? Yeah. So, um, I think it was kind of a surprise for my parents when I said, I want to be a communication arts major. And that really came about because I was really good at math and science. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> and, um, all my, all my test scores said, Hey, you should be doing something in math and science. But even though I was really good at it, I didn't want to do it for a career. And my school counselor basically said, well, what do you do in your spare time? I said, well, I watch movies and I love watching TV shows. Okay, great. There's this thing called communication arts. You can major in and you can do that for a living. That's all that was. It was a 10-second conversation. She handed me a bunch of pamphlets for all the West Coast schools. I grew up in Hawaii for all the universities on the West Coast. And I chose LMU. And. That was that. That's how simple that was. Wow. Easier said than done, I'm sure. But like all the puzzle pieces seem to fit right where they needed to be. So 
Can you explain to our listeners and maybe myself in layman's terms what a colorist actually does and how important it is to the overall look of a film? Sure. So uh, the colorist is necessary for basically anything that you see on television or you're, you're looking at it on a uh, big screen. Um, everything has to go through a colorist to be colored because essentially the shots don't match in a really simplistic form, right? If you're shooting an exterior day shot and you've got take one and it's sunny and then take two, it's cloudy and take three, it's sunny again. And the editors are chopping that all up, take one, two, three, and back to one, back to two. The shots don't match. And so a colorist is basically there to match the shots, make sure everything looks like it was all shot at the same time. That's in a really simplistic form, what we'll do. We, you know, we'll, if the whole show needs to be saturated, um, we'll saturate every single shot. If it needs to be desaturated, we'll desaturate every single shot. Um, so we can create looks, we can set the mood. We're basically like using, um, it's kind of like Photoshop on steroids is the way I explain it to people. You're basically painting pictures electronically. We take the the cinematographer's uh, images that they captured, and we help enhance those. So that's what we do. Oh, I bet some influencers would love your skill set. They wouldn't even need filters. They could just use you. (laughs) (laughs) But um, in terms of attributes or qualifications for those that don't know how to get into the colors scheme or, you know, what if they have the right skill set do you believe a person you know should have in order to become a successful colorist and does having an artistic or technical background help um it it does help um you basically just need to be you know have a really good sense of contrast and color so i mean if you're colorblind you can't be a colorist but uh but you know you're you have to have a really good sense for for color and feel i mean that's essentially what we all do is we can take images and we can kind of shape those images um, through our lens and the cinematographer and director's lenses. And we can kind of shape those images so that when you look at that particular scene, you'll feel a certain way. And that's basically the skill set of a colorist. So if they were shooting something just like a regular day exterior and then we needed it, you know, the director says, hey, I want it to be a really somber scene you know a colorist can take that sunny day and kind of put it into a color space where it doesn't feel that inviting maybe it's a little bit colder maybe we take some of the highlights down and you know make things a little bit grayer and stuff like that so i mean there's just a myriad of ways we can do things to affect um the feel of your show and that's what our skill set is and so if you have a really good sense of doing that then it can be a really good colorist the fact that you can change the atmosphere of the feel of a, of a film just by changing color is is so remarkable to me because I, I I have noticed, you know, when it is more of a somber tone of a, a feature or whatnot, it does tend to get a little bit darker. And then when something yeah. super, you know, happy, it tends to be a little bit brighter. So you must have like pixelated, you know, detail oriented. You must be like pixel oriented, like, ooh, what is it like working with top directors and cinematographers like the ones I mentioned in your intro? And do they listen to your input on a project or is there sort of a give and take when it comes to deciding on the look of a particular film? Because I'm sure some cinematographers and directors like have this image in their mind and maybe as a colorist, you're like, "Mm, that doesn't necessarily work. Is there some give and take? 
Yeah, so there's a lot of give and take. And um, most cinematographers and directors work with certain colors all the time because they have a real good shorthand, right? Like we can give them what they want without too much direction because we have the same sensibilities or we, we can share their sensibilities with them. So that's, that's your skill set that you have to have. So it seems like there has to be some level of trust between you, the director, and the cinematographer all kind of symbiotically working together. Totally. 100% trust. If you don't have the trust, you don't have a relationship, really. Kind of like in everything in life, right? Hey, I have that relationship with my hairdresser, but don't tell. <laughs> um, sticking with the topic of Hollywood, have you ever experienced any bias or felt you have had to prove yourself more being an Asian American? Or do you have any um, stories from other people that have may have experienced some bias or maybe some good stories about being an Asian American in Hollywood? Um, I haven't personally. I mean, I've been in this business probably since 91, I think. Um I haven't personally felt that, uh, but that doesn't mean it hasn't happened to other people. But for me personally, um, I don't think I don't think that's uh, affected me, me being Asian or minority. Like I don't think that's really affected me. I think at the end of the day, people want to work with people that they get along with, they share the same sensibilities. You know, like if they work with a good colorist or you're a good architect. I think people just want the best. One film that I was uh, particularly interested in that you colored was Crazy Rich Asians. Do you get this little sense of pride when you see, you know, a complete mo complete feature with just Asian Americans in it? Did you get some sense of pride or maybe the fact that, you know, Asian Americans are now being represented more in feature films? Yeah, I totally had a lot of pride color correcting that. And I'm really proud of, you know, my friend John Chu, who directed that. Uh, we had had a conversation on his previous movie that he directed. And, um, you know, we were just talking about him being one of the few Asian American directors that are in the Hollywood system, you know, for features that gets greenlit. And, um, you know, he, we talked about him having this voice for Asian Americans, kind of like, you know, Spike Lee had for the African Americans back in the eighties when, you know, Do the Right Thing came out, which is, you know, highly influential for me as a young man. Um, and um, lo and behold, he did his next movie was Crazy Rich Asians. And, uh, you know, it did really well. And it was like a groundbreaking movie. And um, yeah, so I'm, I'm so proud of him till this day. And I'm telling you, for, for children especially, for them to be able to see people that look like them in feature films, I feel like is not only inspire it will be inspiring for them to maybe pursue in feature films because it is a you know to become an actor actress I feel like is a lot of people's dream but those uh, people of color that may not have seen people looking like them on the screen may now be extra motivated because now there's people that look like us on the screen so I'm glad that you had um, people to look up to as well in terms of the colorist world did you have a mentor that comes to mind in particular and w was he or she Asian American or just a great colorist. Um, my mentors were not Asian American. They're just great colorists. And um, I, I sought their advice as a young colorist, which I think is really important for people, right? Like if somebody's really good at their craft, especially in the arts, 
you basically want to get as much knowledge as you can from them as a shortcut for your life, really. I mean, you don't have to learn to uh, create the wheel on your own. You know, there's a blueprint to how to make a wheel. So if you happen to be working with them, um, you know, you should ask them a lot of questions, which is what I did. And anything, if I had a piece of film up that I didn't, when I colored it, um, you know, and it didn't look right, I would basically put that thing up to one of the senior colorists when I was a junior and an assist. I'd say, hey, can you color correct this for me? Because I, I, I couldn't get this thing to look right. And they would do, you know, something in like five seconds and it would look a hundred times better than anything I did. I'd be like, what did I do wrong? And they would tell me. And you learn, right? So, um, yeah, I think that that sort of uh, try to be egoless when you're, especially when you're in the arts, and uh, just learn as much as you can. Is there one particular piece of advice or knowledge that you took away from either your mentors or you learned yourself that is stuck with you today um, to make you the colorist that you are? Yeah, I think um, there was there was a a guy that I had worked with who basically said, um, you really don't want to have a look because every film is completely different and every movie and every TV show is completely different. So he says some colorists have looks and they make every movie look the same. And that's essentially not what you want to have and want to be as a colorist. You want to basically treat every movie and every TV show, everything that you're doing on an individual basis and cater your, you know, uh, uh, your coloring just to that project alone. And so you kind of have to be like a chameleon with color and, uh, you know, uh, not try to do the same things all the time to, to have that kind of look. So I've always remembered that from him because he would, he would say, you know, like this colorist that we used to work with kind of has the same look for all of their shows. And I'm like, oh yeah, they kind of do have a look for all of them. So he would say, that's not great. You should have a different look for every show. They, sh they almost should not know you've colored it, right? Although I, I, do you have any signature things that people would know, like this is a Stefan Nakumara production? No, none. <laughs> well, I guess that's a good. I guess that's a good thing in your line of work. Good thing. Um, circling, circling back, um, going back to the conversation that you had with your parents when you decided, "Hey, mom and dad, I'm going to be. I want to go to school for arts or media and whatnot." Can you? I, I'm sure it was only, it was very recent, but could you just walk the listeners through how that conversation went? Um, things that maybe were brought up during that conversation that you know, another fellow Asian American that wants to be in the arts might go through and maybe give a little advice? Yeah, I mean, it it, it wasn't a difficult conversation because my parents were super supportive of me um, with anything I wanted to do. Uh, I think they were worried because I wasn't, you know, this person knew how to draw or paint or did a lot of art stuff. Um, but I know I was really interested in it. And I know... I'm the type of person that I'll come in early and stay late at anything that I do, right? So whether that's, you know, was studying or playing sports or whatever, like I, I was always of the mindset, like nobody's going to outwork me. So, and I, 
you know, I'm really uh, good with people. Like, I really like people. And um, in high school, I was like student government, all that kind of stuff, right? So um, I remember telling my mom, she was like, you can't do any of these art stuff. Like, what makes you think she can do this? And I said, well, there's a, there's a different component to just being an artist. And part of it is you have to have really good people skills. And a lot of the art students that we had in my high school had terrible people skills. So, you know, it's one thing if you say, hey, I, you know, I can paint really great, but if you only paint in your garage, you can't make a living at it, right? You have to sell your painting. So you have to have people skills. And so I always thought I can learn this if I can figure out where I fit in, my skill set can fit in. Um, but I really, really love people. And I really am very inquisitive. And I like to learn. And, um, um, you know, I had friends of all different types in high school. So I know I can kind of get along with anybody, right? So, you know, the jocks and the scholars and the surfers and whatever. I mean, I had friends of like, you know, everyone. So uh, I, I was pretty confident at the end of the day that I would do well in whatever profession I ended up with inside of the film business. So that's, that, that's how simple that was. I, I think it's wonderful that your parents were so supportive and it just seems like they wanted you to be happy. Happy, And for listeners that are listening right now that may or may not have challenges with their parents, I feel like just sitting down, talking it out and saying you're passionate about something maybe will help, will help your parents kind of change their views of maybe going to school for a particular certain thing. And well, actually, well, if this will make you happy, that's all that matters. So I'm glad you're I'm so glad your parents were supportive because who knows where you would have been. Yeah. Um, so speaking about the the company that you work with, uh, Company 3, uh, it's the leading post-production facility based in Santa Monica, Lucky You, that works on major Hollywood films as well as commercials. How did you find yourself at Company 3? Uh, company 3 was started with uh, was start, started by a guy um, that I used to work with at the post group when, I, when we both kind of first got in the business. We were assistants together on a night shift. So we had known each other for years. And then we became colorists around the same time. And, um, you know, we kind of shared the same clients that we grew up with. And so around 2007, we kind of joined forces. And that's kind of wow. how that happened, really. Yeah. Oh, the people you meet. You always try to keep a working relationship because you just never know. That's right. So, uh, Stefan, the next question is kind of a two-part one. Um, in terms of the, your, the favorite film that you've worked on, and then maybe an interesting story about some of the high-profile directors. So favorite movie that you've worked on, and then maybe either a story or why you really like working with a particular director or cinematographer. Well, I don't know if there's a, I don't know if there's a favorite story. Uh, they're all, all they're the all, it's like your children. You know, they're all your favorites. Yeah, all the stories are really great. Um, they are interesting in their own ways. You know, it's, it's, it's a really interesting situation to be in when you really think about it you know like a movie they'll be in pre-production they'll shoot things they'll shoot it they'll cut it together i mean sometimes it's like two years later from the time maybe even longer from the time they originally decided to sign on and we're basically the last part of the chain right the coloring is the very end so visual effects comes to us we color it it's approved that gets married to the sound and that's it. That's your movie. 
And so You're the gatekeepers. You know, being in the, uh, the, the, the final part of the chain and you're kind of at the finish line, um, you know, you hear a lot of stories from people in a dark room when it's just the two of you alone, you know? And um, so there are a lot of really great stories. Um, but, you know, those are all private conversations. Absolutely. Totally, totally. I didn't know if one stood out for you that really made you laugh or something, but I totally understand. Even I feel like all of, all of Hollywood is NDAs. Yes. So I, I totally understand. <laughs> I have a lot of questions about the movies that you're currently working on, but I know that they're in post-production now, some of them. So um, getting to um, what advice would you have for any young, aspiring Asian American creators or filmmakers out there who want to pursue a career working in films and also to potentially become a colorist? Yeah, my my advice is, uh, you know, same advice I give to almost everyone, which is just keep trying things inside of the business. If you can get internships, that's really fantastic because you get to meet people and you get to see how everything works. So if you come to a post-production facility like Company 3, you know, there are conform people, there are producers, there are colorists, there are engineers. I mean, there, there are many different facets and many different jobs um, inside of the post-production facility. And in production, there are, you know, a myriad of jobs. Um, the main thing is to identify something that you naturally have a skill set for. Because if not, you're going to just struggle to be above average, right? So I always tell people, if you, if you look at like a kindergarten class, almost every kid has something that they're a little bit better than the rest of the kids just by waking up in the morning. There's just, you know, there's some weird thing that like every kid has where they're like, you know, somebody can read better, somebody can add better, somebody's faster and can run faster, somebody, you know, somebody can do a puzzle better. Everyone has a really great skill. Every human being does. If you can identify that skill and monetize that skill, you'll be really successful and you will essentially have passion, <laughs> you know. Sometimes it's like the passion really is something you're really good at that, you know, people praise you all the time and they think you're really great. And all of a sudden you become very passionate about it. and it's happened over and over and over again. I've met professional athletes that like didn't want to play the sport that happened to be extremely good at it. You know, I know like a NFL player that's won many Super Bowls that. When I met him in college, he, he didn't, he said like, that's clearly his number two sport. And he liked basketball so much better, but he wasn't that good at basketball. But for some reason, he's really good at football. And he's still in the football business today, right? And so it turns into a passion because he's so good at it. I wish there was a, uh, a job or something lucrative for ice cream because I love all types of ice cream. And I feel like if I could just sample ice cream for the rest of my life, I think it, I would be very, very successful, <laughs> but you know, live and learn. Maybe someday you never know. I could become a taste tester. You, um, go, <laughs> you never know nowadays. Um, going back to the history of filmmaking in Hollywood before the digital age, how could the looks of films be altered when they were actually shot on film stock as opposed to on camera? Oh, sure. Back in the old days, um, they would be at a lab like Technicolor and they would have lab timers doing what we do. They didn't have the digital control 
that we have. I mean, we have so much control that if you, you know, like if you have a, a, a magenta fuchsia blouse, I mean, I can latch onto that and change it to be green, right? But they do, they couldn't do that in the old days. They can basically take your film and make it brighter, make it darker, put a little bit of red, put a little bit of blue, put a little bit of green. They can adjust the photography that way, but they don't have the, they didn't have the ability to, you know, go into each eyeball and sharpen it and make it brighter or, you know, put a, put a window over someone's face and darken everything around them. They didn't have that kind of control, but they were great craftsmen uh, that did amazing work. And, uh, you know, that um, is basically the job we or someone like myself took, o took over when the digital revolution came about in around the early 2000s. So, yeah, that's what, that's what they did. Even like editors from back in the day that had to cut the film and then yeah. put it together and then that's how they edited. I, I can't imagine that must have been really tedious. But um, yeah. what, as we're wrapping up this, uh, this interview, if you were able to go back in time to your younger self and look at yourself in the mirror and say, Stefan, what advice would you give yourself? Um, I, I would give myself the advice that I, I, I kind of just told you, which is you just got to find something that you do like almost as a hobby in your spare time. If you like to do something, then pretty much try to pursue something in that realm if you can. Because your natural inclination is that if you're not getting paid, you'd still do this anyway. So that's a really great start. That's a great and, gauge. <laughs> right? It's a, really, it's a really great gauge. And then figure out where your skill set lies within that field. Right? Like if you're a great speaker or you've really, you're, you know, you're a detailed kind of person or you're not detailed, but you're a big picture thinker. There, there are many different career paths in, in every field that you can try to go to, but, you know, hone in on things, keep honing in on things that like your skills, your natural skill set, your natural strengths, um, you know, can benefit you in that way. Because what you'll find is that when you end up doing something where you don't have a natural skill set, you're just going to struggle to just be above average, right? It's like that whole concept about basketball where you can have the starting five basketball team and they'll play the second string basketball team. But if you put all five players out of position, the second string team beats them all the time because they're, 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 they're you know, you can't put a center at point guard, right? Like, they're, it's not their natural position. So they could be a really, they could be great and one of the best in the world at a certain position. But if you move them to another position, they're completely average, right? So it's that concept. If, you're, if you are put in position of something you're interested in that you have a natural affinity for, you almost for sure will be successful. All you have to do is have great, great work ethic and build rapport with people and you'll be fine. I wouldn't worry about anyone <laughs> i think they'll well hopefully our listeners are taking notes and wrote all that stuff down because i feel like what you're saying is pertaining to film if you want to pursue in film but then like you said also for life which i feel like is very important too <laughs> sure. but 
Unfortunately, we are almost out of time today, but I want to thank our guest, Mr. Nakamura, for sharing his amazing career with us. I feel like there's so many other stories you could potentially tell us, but we only have so much time. And I hope his story will serve as an inspiration to all those listening. Um, Stefan, do you have any social media or websites that our listeners can follow you and learn more about what you do? Sure. Yeah, I'm on Instagram. Um, Stefan underscore Nakamura, or S-T-E-P-H-E-N underscore Nakamura, N-A-K-A-M-U-R-A. Um, and I'll, you know, when I'm, when my projects get released, I'll post some pictures up, sometimes share some stories and, you know, things like that. So they can, they can follow me that way. Oh man, you must have some amazing behind the scenes footage, photos. Oh, it's pretty amazing. Once again, I want to thank our guest, Stefan Nakamura, for joining us today. If you have any suggestions for future guests or topics, we'd love to hear from you. Also, be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform, as well as follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Asian Voices Radio is produced by Asian Culture and Media Alliance, a nonprofit that empowers our API community with a voice through media arts. If you would like to support our program and make a donation, please visit AsianVoicesRadio.com. Thank you so much for listening. I'm your host, Melissa May. Please join us next week for another exciting and thought-provoking Asian Voices Radio show. Until next time, take care, everyone.